In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures, and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13 from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. And for the first time in a while, we've got some news. I'm guessing most of you aren't happy with it, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Prashant Iyer, do you want to go off? That was the most, I guess, stupid way I think he ever could have gone about doing this. Like, you know, you and I have talked about this at length on these episodes that there's no rush to do this draft. There's no rush to do this draft. You can wait until the season's over. Like, figure it out. No matter what you do, you need to figure out how the regular season's going to finish uh, before you do this draft. Well, turns out for the NHL, that's not what matters. For the NHL, it's all about coming up with the most convoluted and complicated process possible uh, to resolve the draft. I mean, my favorite part of it is as I'm tuning into Gary Bettman, he goes, all right, now to the draft lottery. It's complicated, and I apologize for that. When it really didn't have to be complicated. I mean, this this was something that could have been so straightforward to where, all right, if you've determined you're taking 24 teams and you're worried about the duality of having a team compete for the cup and compete for uh, a lottery pick, then fine. Just include the bottom seven. Uh, if you're okay with waiting to do this draft lottery until the results of your play-in series has been determined, fine, let's do that, but let's use the standard pick odds that were already agreed upon uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, all the way down from 18.5% to 1% for the 15th place team. Let, let, that's fine, let's do that. But not only did the NHL choose not to wait for the conclusion of, it, of these play-in games, which apparently don't count to the regular season and don't count to the playoffs— they also chose to include the teams that lose in there with different lottery odds than what would have originally happened had the lottery played out as usual. And so now, when you're thinking about the, the potential for first overall, the team that's got the highest likelihood is still Ottawa at 25%. But now the second highest likelihood is one of the eight losing teams at 24.5%. And then third is Detroit at 18.5%. And that, to me, just it, it just blows my mind. And while functionally the the twenty four and a half percent is still the same as as what it was before, that's now evenly distributed amongst all the losers of the eight you know of the uh, you know eight playing series, as opposed to being 
redistributed or reseeded by by the points percentage. And so now you're conceivably talking about a team like Pittsburgh having a 3% shot at winning first overall because they, you know, come in cold and Carey Price beats them in a playoff series. So it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous that the NHL chose to manipulate the odds. And really the big winners here are the mediocre teams uh, that weren't so good to earn an outright buy. And, and it's just kind of frustrating to see after all these years of the NHL kind of promoting this parody, 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 you're going to run into a situation where a Pittsburgh and Edmonton, uh, you know, those teams are winning the draft lottery and now you're really screwed. Yes. Okay. Let's rewind one moment and we'll just give the overview just so everybody understands. So essentially what you are looking at is the two phases of lottery as part of the NHL's return to play plan. Because they want to have one of the lotteries on June 26th, or the lottery on June 26th, uh, prior to the resumption of the season, if they are able to resume the season, they have allowed for the possibility of a phase two lottery, which essentially means they're going to group all the teams seated 8 through 15, well, I guess actually... Uh, it, all the odds for the team that would normally be assigned to the team seated 8 through 15 in the draft lottery will be grouped together and termed to be placeholder teams. So what you will have is you will have three drawings as usual, like you would any lottery. And if it goes and they do the lottery and Detroit, Ottawa, and LA win the top three picks, then that's that and it's done. But if, because like normal, you could have a team who's like, let's say the 10th best odds at the lottery could win the second pick, for example. Then all of a sudden you have... You know, Detroit, uh, a placeholder team, and Ottawa are your picks or something like that, or, or L.A. or whatever. Um, so at that point, because they won't know which teams are eligible to be in those 8 through 15 spots because of the, uh, what I would say is is a kind of silly distinction making between a play-in and a play-off in terms of what the postseason is, Um they're going to wait until someone's been eliminated and they're going to rule the teams who have been eliminated in the quote unquote play in uh, to be lottery eligible. They will hold a second lottery drawing just among those teams for who gets the honor of being placeholder team and picking number two. Um, at that point, they would have, you know, specific odds for them as well. So you're dealing with basically a 24.5% chance of a placeholder team winning the first overall pick and uh, slightly above that for both the second and third picks, probably about an 80% chance uh, on the whole that there will be a Phase 2 lottery necessary. For the Red Wings' purposes, the Phase 2 lottery does not matter. If they're going to get a top three pick, it's going to happen on June 26th. But what does matter about it is the rage level that I think a lot of Red Wings fans would feel and probably already feel just on the notion uh, of how much of a safety net the teams that are getting invited into this quote-unquote play-in or qualifying round, uh, because they are getting a shot at the Stanley Cup playoffs, a a pretty good shot at it, uh, and then they're also going to get a safety net that will still allow the loser into the lottery with a pretty good shot, better than them at any... uh, at any at any one pick on the aggregate, um, not any one team would have that, but the losers in general of it would have a better shot than them at any of the top three picks, which they will already have have lost out on by that point. But nonetheless, so what we're ultimately looking at here, and I think where where I'm sensing a lot of the frustration from the Red Wings fan base is that 
almost exclusively the teams rewarded by the return to play format are the teams in the middle. Your top eight teams get no benefit. They basically, actually all they can do is lose ground because of the way that the, the, <laughs> the format's going to go for them. The teams in the bottom seven, they don't, they don't lose ground, but they don't gain any ground. There was a time where they thought they were going to gain ground, and certainly they're not going to play again until next season, which means that could be until December, could be January, could be a very long time before any of those seven teams who we knew all along were going to be in the lottery are going to get to take the ice again in any kind of meaningful sense. Those middle teams, basically uh, teams 8 through 23, they get to double dip. They get to play again. They get a shot at the playoffs. And, you know, I would say, you know, if we're calling a spade a spade, they're already in the playoffs. This is a five-game series. That's that's the playoffs. Whether the NHL wants to call it that or not, that's up to them. But it's the playoffs. And they're also, the losers of that will get the safety net of also being in the lottery. That, I think, is where a lot of the frustration is coming from. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, basically, you can see, just, just knowing what you know about the NHL, you can see how the NHL's thought process basically led you to where they're at. So you start off with them saying, all right, what if we just revert back to, you know, our, our 2012 odds where, all right, just, you can only move up a max of four spots. You can only move down a max of one spot. We'll only include the teams in the bottom seven and functionally that rewards Detroit. No, 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 wait, we got to We got to back off here because we can't give off the impression we're going to reward tanking. So now we need to come up with a solution where we don't want to reward tanking. So what if we come up with an op- uh, an option where teams uh, that are kind of in that middle still retain their lottery odds, but have this opportunity to go to the playoffs? Well, no, we, we can't do that because heaven forbid a team wins the Stanley Cup and wins first overall. So now we got to come up with a scenario where a team could still participate in a 15-team lottery, but not be eligible for the Stanley Cup. So let's create these play-in series. But we need to make sure we get enough money So instead of doing the smart thing and only taking 20 teams, let's also include four more teams just to say this number is 24, and that way we can can get Chicago, Montreal, and the Rangers. Um, But, you know, really, those teams are going to be upset with us because what they really want is they need to be in the lottery. Like, if they're going to get better, they need to be in the lottery. So why don't we come up with this convoluted system where what we'll do is instead of, you know, rewarding... Uh, taking away their opportunity to participate in the lottery, we'll actually let these placeholders participate in the lottery. And then after those teams lose, we'll retroactively come back and assign them uh, their spots based on however they ended up falling out on a points percentage standpoint. But ultimately, points percentage doesn't matter here because at the end of the day, we're going to just give all the teams a 3% opportunity because now it's unfair to the teams that are higher seeded and they may not get a chance to move on because they have to play this random five-game series, so we need to actually benefit them as well. So you can really see how the NHL is just trying to put out fires by literally creating another fire, and the end result is fire. It's not a, it's not a better solution. This all could have been solved by simply giving uh, normal lottery odds and then letting this happen after the play-in series. Or this could have been solved by have your play-in series, but give the higher-seeded teams a 1-0 series lead such that you are forcing the worst teams to end up in the lottery unless you have this heroic you know, feat where they're able to rally off three straight against a better team. And you're going to do it, and you're still going to give them the normal lottery odds. There was no reason to go out and increase the value of picking 12 through 15 here. That just doesn't make any sense. 
And at the end of the day, you're rewarding the teams for being mediocre. And that's not the right message that you should want to give off. But that's the NHL, and that's what they're going to do here. So it just... They're, all, all they did is they just kept making fires and fires and fires until they finally decided that this is the fire that we like. And, and it's just a frustrating situation. I get that. And I don't think that this is a solution that, uh, I mean, there number one, there was not going to be a solution that was going to please everyone. And I, I get that. I think we should probably note that. Um, I think it's interesting, though, how much relative advantage those middle teams those bubble teams got out of this i think i understand it i think it's because they're the teams that most stood to be able to say hey we got a way different deal than what we were expecting out of this right if, if you have a chicago or a montreal and you're going back into the playoff well th- that's good for the league from a revenue standpoint it is but from where those teams are at in their respective uh you know cycles franchise cycles they weren't going to win the stanley cup and they probably need those lottery odds so they get both um you have a team like even a pittsburgh or let's say a toronto all of a sudden you know you're a, you're a playoff team but now you get lumped into this kind of play in round uh or this kind of pre first round or whatever you're going to call it now you've got a gripe because you didn't get your seven-game series in the first round. You get a five-game series, but you don't get your seven-game series, and, and you kind of have to play your way into that top 16. They've got a gripe because right they're not getting what they signed up for. The teams on the two outer edges are still getting more or less what they signed up for. So I get why that group is the one you had to really be um, taken care of because that's the one who was going to have the biggest difference in what they were what was going to happen before the pandemic hit to what's going to happen now. So they're the ones that get the safety net. They're the ones that get the benefit. Um, they're the beneficiaries of, of this. They're, they're the winners in all of this, if such a thing exists. Um, I, I personally don't think that the idea of the phase two drawing as complicated as it is, um, is a huge deal. It's ultimately no different odds on the whole that a team seeded eight through 15 was going to win. That's not different. What is different, though, is how many more teams are in that pool. That, I think, is interesting. That, I think, is a fair point of objection. But again, you got to remember that they got to take care of the teams whose effect, uh, effectively rightful playoff spot they may be jeopardizing. Yeah, and again, you know, my, my whole point going back to it is the reason they have to take care of those teams is because they're putting them in a precarious yes, position. Right. Like, you, you could have taken those better teams and taking care of them by giving them a 1-0 series lead. And you can have said, look, your your team vision at the beginning of the year was make the playoffs. You're Pittsburgh. You've got an aging Sidney Crosby and an aging Evgeny Malkin. You're not going to be doing this a whole lot more. Let me make sure I take care of you and you and the vision you built for your team. Because think about all the all the draft capital that some of these teams spent, right? You know, how many teams dealt away first round picks to try and uh, you know, make their way through this. And and when you think about, you know, some of the deals that were made, it's it's sort of fascinating to to consider the, you know, Pittsburgh goes out, they make a deal with Minnesota for Jason Zucker. Minnesota gets their first round pick. But, oh, wait, if Pittsburgh's not in the playoffs, they can actually punt that first round pick down the road. And so now Minnesota, let's say Pittsburgh loses their playing series to Montreal. Minnesota loses out on that other lottery option. Uh, again, granted, they likely would not have had it, but they also lose out on a kind of a, a decent pick in, in this kind of draft year. So it's it's a very convoluted system. I think it also retroactively impacts all those teams that made these deals. Like you think about a team like the Rangers, they own a first-round pick from Carolina, 
but it's actually whichever one is the the worst of the two between Carolina and Toronto. And so hypothetically, like you could have Carolina and Toronto participating in this lottery because they're one they both lost their play-in series. And you could end up with the Rangers adding another lottery pick when in all likelihood both Carolina and Toronto were going to be in the playoffs and that wasn't going to be a lottery pick. And so there's a lot of other ramifications that are going into this that I think the NHL just ultimately kept creating problems and kept trying to put out the fires by appeasing other teams. And at the end of the day, if you're Chicago and Montreal, you probably have a gripe because Montreal would have had a 6% probability at first overall. Now that's cut in half to 3%. And they're being forced to go through this play-in series against a heavily favored Pittsburgh team. But they've got a playoff shot. I mean, they they could. I'm not saying they're going to, but they could win the Stanley Cup. I mean, hypothetically, right? They have that opportunity, but again, if you're if you're Montreal and you're building your team and you're, and you're Mark Bergevin, you would rather have double the odds at first overall in Alexi Lafreniere than than three percent in a you know shot in the dark at beating Pittsburgh in a five game series. I mean, that being said, the NHL is very random; anything can happen. Montreal couldn't beat Detroit in four games. I don't see them beating Pittsburgh in, in three games. So, you know, you, you put it all together, you have gripes for those teams. You have gripes for teams like Pittsburgh, Carolina, Toronto that were built for a playoff run this year and are now being thrown into a random kind of series with the appeasement of a 3% probability at first overall. So, I mean, my personal opinion is every NHL team walks away unhappy with the situation they're left in, and it's all because of stuff the NHL kept creating. Like, I, I just don't see how every team is not unhappy with the current situation, and maybe the reason why they're that this is what ended up passing is because all NHL teams are equally unhappy with this. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fair. The thing I would be most interested in seeing is if placeholders win lottery spots, plur- one, plural, however many, uh, what it's going to be like to to be uh, watching those play-in series, knowing that one of those teams... Yeah, they might not advance into the 16-team round playoff or whatever, but one of those teams is going to have, uh, you know, a 12.5% shot at that point. Uh, 12.5, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing is once the lottery's been won and you've already announced that this has been won, again, prior to the play-in series completing, like, this also doesn't make any sense. Like, are you telling me that you're, these teams are now not incentivized to lose their series? Because uh, if you're telling me all well, of a sudden now I have a 12.5% shot and I'm Mark Bergevin, shoot, I'm not starting Carey Price this series. I'm not. I'm going to go with the backup. I don't want. And I'm, my justification is going to be I don't want him to get hurt. Oh wait, you know, let me. I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets. Let me. You know, Seth Jones isn't healthy. I'm going to hold him out. And, and Elvis Merzilkins can't afford to play him because uh, you know these guys are still battling injuries. Because I now want a 13% chance at first overall. Like that's. I don't know. You know, we say that tanking's not real, but at the same time, the NHL is effectively tempting all of those teams in that play-in series. Oh, I don't think tanking's not real. I just think it's not real from a player's standpoint. So, in order to pull something like that off, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you're going to see it. Uh, see players tanking at all, and I don't think you're going to see coaches pulling goalies like that. I do think you're going to see fan bases rooting for their team to lose. I think that's a fact. Yeah, and again, it just, I don't know, it's a very uncomfortable situation. I mean, you may have scenarios where 
you can justify that a player is battling a nagging injury. These guys are all going to be very deconditioned, right? I mean, and you're asking him to kind of step into quote-unquote playoff hockey. I can't imagine that this goes off without a hitch or without significant injuries happening at some point, uh, just from the lack of conditioning, the lack of a true training camp. I mean, it sounds like from, from Bettman's plan that a phase three, meaning opening of the training camps, wouldn't even happen until early July. I'm not necessarily sure when they're, what their kind of time frame is to go from the training camp to uh, you know, game action. But that being said, there's there's a reason there's preseason games, and that's to get guys, you know, a little bit used to game action, game pace uh, to a certain extent. And that's why it sometimes takes some teams a while to get in. And now you're ramping up the intensity in a five-game, highly random series here. I can't imagine that that doesn't go without injuries. And do organizations take it out of the players' hands to a certain extent? Yeah. My feeling, and just I'll put this out there, like I, I personally think the best outcome would have been just a lottery featuring the top seven teams for the top three picks. Everyone can still drop a maximum of three spots, but um, you know, all seven of those top teams are the only ones that can get the top three picks because you know they are sacrificing. Uh, the I think I mean maybe not I I don't know sacrificing is a weird word but they're not going to play again for the longest time they have no shot they're not in this you know play in playoff I thought those should have been the seven teams eligible for the top three picks if they wanted to do two lotteries I think it would have made more sense to do a lottery among the play in teams for who picks eight through fifteen um, but you know obviously they did not uh, decide to go that route I I think I don't think this one is as um, controversial maybe as as the minute it was announced kind of the reaction but I also see that it definitely disadvantages those bottom seven teams I think uh, quite a bit and I, I also would say if you're a fan of one of the top eight teams you're not happy at all in this um, because you're going to watch a team that maybe isn't that much you know isn't that far behind you in the standings um, you know the randomness of a coin flip all of a sudden they could get way better than you uh, with with one bounce of a lottery ball, so I think those those bottom seven teams and the top eight teams have every right to be really mad. I think the seven team lottery would have been the best move, um, but ultimately, this probably is the one that most closely approximates a normal lottery. We can judge whether or not that was the right approach to it, but it probably is the one that best approximates that. I mean, I think what would have best approximated it is if instead of the phase two lottery having equal weights, if you had staggered weights sorted by basically reverse points percentage. And so, you know, let's say you give, again, the top team, basically the worst team eliminated, uh, a 25% chance in, in phase two, and so on and so forth. What that effectively does is when you get the implied probabilities here, you're effectively going to get the same draft lottery odds that you would already have in a normal season. But again, all of this was done to try and mimic a normal lottery when you could have just had a A normal normal lottery. lottery. There was no need to rush this. Like that, that's the thing that blows my mind. Like why do we have to have this here if you're still not going to have the draft until the end of the season? Well, here's here's the answer. Again, the answer is this. The answer is teams want to know, what they need to be doing with their time. There's a huge difference in the Red Wings prep process, planning for picking number one, number two, number three, and number four. It might not seem like that big a deal, but there is a difference. There is a difference in that. And it's even bigger for if you're a team that could be picking, like let's say you're Buffalo, for example, or New Jersey, and you're talking about picking like seven 
or 10. That's a huge difference in the kinds of players all of a sudden you're looking at. I mean, it is. yes and no. It is in terms of who you're looking at. Do you need months to figure that out? Well, usually they give them three months. They usually give them, yeah, I mean, it's usually what, April to June, right? They yeah. usually do the, April to uh, late June. The, I mean, the, start, the first week of April to the last week of June. Right. So, again, holding this draft lottery June 26, again, I don't know that these teams need multiple months. And, again, these teams all are, you know, formula. it's not like they're formulating a specific target at one pick. They're all making boards that are likely ranging from one to, you know, 217 or whatever. Once right? you've made so your board, you need to zero in on your, your five, your, your bucket of five to eight guys and know literally everything there is to know about them. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, I just don't see the need to do this now. Or at the very, at the bare minimum, you could have done this, you know, when uh, the at least the play-ins concluded, right? Yeah, for sure. There's I no, agree. You, That's what I would have done. Do you, it in July when yeah, the play-ins. Yeah, you don't need to wait. Yeah. Right. You do it in July and you hold the draft in September. I mean, that's still, you know, your your two months right there uh, for teams to prepare. So I I just don't see the reason why the NHL force this to happen early and i i mean i just can't fathom what the the rationale was and and no rationale was really provided as to why why the nhl needed to do this when they're doing it ahead of that in the manner they're doing it with these different pick odds it just it just doesn't seem rational to me but again this is the nhl All right, let's talk briefly then about the actual playoffs. I know it doesn't really matter for the Red Wings specifically, but everyone listening here is a hockey fan. I assume 70% or more will watch some version of the playoffs, and I think it will be interesting to watch uh, particularly the round-robin round that could swing the Boston Bruins from not no longer being the uh, number one overall seed in the East, despite I think they've won the President's Trophy now officially. Is that fair to say yeah i mean yeah. bettman said that it was conclusion of the regular season right. and all awards and stats are final so that's very interesting to me that, that you're going to have a situation where they're they might not be the number one seed philly could move up um i mean it, it also goes and lends even more credence to the idea that these are the playoffs right like this is not the regular season and i think it's a meaningful distinction to to note that but um yeah, I mean, it's going to be – I think it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fascinating. It's a little chaotic, a little insane how much things can change in that small sample of time. Yeah, I mean, it's this round-robin format is just so weird because, again, the NHL created a fire and then had to you know put it out. But the way they put it out was literally by creating another fire. So, again, by the NHL's insistence on you know stretching this to 24 teams – and their insistence on having a play-in series as opposed to conclusion of the regular series season, what you ended up creating was a scenario where those play-in teams get a little bit of game action, they get some physical competitive games going, and those are now teams that may be ramped up and ready to go, and you've got your top teams just kind of sitting on the sideline, right? So now it's like, okay, you know, we need those top teams to get a little bit of game action. What if we just have them do a little bit of round robin against each other? Well, okay, that's fine. But if there's no stakes to it, the games may not be all that competitive. So now let's do this. We'll take those top four teams and now you're going to play for seeding. And so now there's some stakes attached to those games. And it's just like you're creating problems to fix other problems instead of just very simply, you should have done this correctly from the beginning, taking only 20 teams and only had a couple of play-in games, 
and avoided this entire issue. But again, the NHL's got to do this for whatever reason. And again, we all know the reason is they need money. And that's why you've got Chicago, New York, and Montreal in here. Because those are the those are the teams you're picking up by going from 20 to 24. So, you know, it's just, it, none of it makes sense. But again, they're just trying to fix problems with other problems. And now you have a scenario where you're going to have these teams arbitrarily playing for seeding, but you don't actually know what that seeding means because Bettman said, we don't know if we're going to reseed these teams or if they're going to play in a bracket. So do you want to play for the one seed when your reward in a bracket is to play Toronto or Columbus? Or do you want to play for the one seed knowing that in a reseeding format, you could end up with 10th overall Florida uh, or somebody like that? And so it's just, it's a very weird situation where you're playing for a reward that you don't even know if it's good or not. Like, I don't even know if you want that. Yeah. Um, no, I know. <laughs> this is why, like, you know, you said it really well earlier. I don't know if there's a single fan base that can say they're really happy with how things worked out. I think there are fan bases that a team like the Red Wings or like the Sabres or like the Senators can look at and say, these guys are making out like bandits. And that would absolutely be the Chicago's and Montreal's of the world. Uh, but I, you know, would it stun me if there were Montreal or Sabre or, um, or Blackhawks fans who weren't pumped about this either? I, it wouldn't stun me. Would it stun you? I mean, it would. I. I don't think they're. I don't think they're excited about it. Yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, because I don't think anyone's excited about it. Because if you think about it, like what are their? Uh, you know, Dom probably calculated this when he did his article uh, a couple weeks back. But what's the probability of Chicago or Montreal advancing in those series? It's got to be somewhere between five to eight percent, right? I can't imagine that either one of those teams is. Uh, favored in any sort of format. And again, reminding people of the matchups, it's Chicago versus Edmonton in the West. It's it's Pittsburgh versus Montreal in the East. Even in a best of five, you got to think that uh, a Connor McDavid team and a Sidney Crosby team are going to win out in those series. Uh, and so basically you've taken Montreal and you've knocked their lottery odds for first overall from 6% to 3%. And you've taken Chicago and knocked it from 5% to 3%. So if I'm those fan bases, I'm still annoyed because now you're making me go through this charade of playing where I have a less than 10% chance of winning. And now you've cut my lottery odds for first overall by half or a little bit less than half. So I can't imagine there's a single fan base that walked away from the NHL's announcement as thrilled with what's going to happen here. No, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. All right, so kind of what's your what's your bottom line from all of this? What what would you say Red Wings fans uh, kind of takeaway is? I think for Red Wings fans, you know, the, the solace you take away is that you're not picking any lower than fourth. Uh, nothing changed there. Uh, at a bare minimum, the Red Wings still retain the same odds for first, second, third, and fourth. The real gripe here is that the team that could jump up to first, second, or third – uh, could be a team that likely would have been in the playoffs in usual format. Uh, so that, that's really where the gripe is. But the solace is that your pick odds were not messed with. You still have the same lottery odds if the season were to go from start to finish. So I think at a bare minimum, you hang your hat on that and you say, all right, I'll take it and kind of resign yourself for that 50% likelihood of fourth overall. That being said, if Detroit walks away and and they win that first overall pick or second overall pick, you're still going to be ecstatic. I mean, remember, it's a 50-50 shot between Detroit picking top three and picking fourth. 
So it's it's not a done deal that they're picking fourth. It's still better than sixth. Um, and in a really good lottery this year, you're talking about being able to pick from a lot of great players. Yeah, and I would say uh, the only thing I would add to that is the takeaway is you're going to know your pick in one month. One month from today, you will know what pick the Red Wings have, and you'll have a pretty good idea by then within you know a, a four to five player range who that's going to be. You're going to be able to go all in on, on that number of players. Um, potentially, you might only need to know one guy, right? That's still an 18.5% chance you didn't lose any ground there. That's what you take away. But yeah, if, if you want something to be mad about, it's absolutely the idea that a team that was within the top, you know, 12 to 15 of the league uh, is going to jump you in the lottery. And normally teams in the top 15, 16 of the league don't have that chance. It's it's a consequence of the situation we're in. And it's, you know, it was always going to be a reality. And we talked about this back when the initial, uh, you know, draft plans, potentially for an early June draft, that seems like forever ago, we were talking about that. But we talked about some team is going to come out of this with the advantage in the end, you know, the idea floated at that time. It seemed like that team might be the Red Wings. And now it seems like it's going to be, you know, a, a, a larger group of teams for a smaller advantage. That appears to be the direction that things went. If you want to be mad about that, I think you got license to do so. Um, but that's kind of the, the big picture, the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And again, if you're looking for more silver linings, potentially you could end up with a scenario where, you know, the only teams from the Atlantic division picking in the lottery could conceivably be just Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo. Because if if you get Montreal to beat Pittsburgh, you get Florida to beat the Islanders, and you get the Leafs to beat Columbus, you could end up with a scenario where only Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo are in the lottery as opposed to Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo, Montreal, Toronto, and Florida all being in the lottery. Uh, which could be a huge problem. I had not thought of that. That's uh, that is an interesting wrinkle to all of this, man. Think though, how much more loaded the Metro could get in a situation like that, especially if you're talking about like, you know, Carolina, Columbus, uh, and uh, the Rangers. All, or I guess Carolina and the Rangers would play each other, but two of those three potentially uh, getting to go back into the and the Islanders even in that scenario getting to go back in and have a chance at the top three. Yeah, I mean, really, you're only Columbus getting Alexi Lafreniere away from having, you know, Lafreniere, Svechnikov, Crosby, you know, Barzell, all in the same division, like, you know, Artemi Panarin, all these guys in the same division. You're you're that pick away. Like, if Columbus goes out and collects Alexi Lafreniere, you are in for a wild, wild Metro division. It, it, it just would, it would be... Uh, insane to watch. All right, I'm going to take a quick pause right there because I want to tell everybody about Hawthorne. Uh, A lot of you guys are probably in the house right now, and some of you may have someone sharing that house with you, and I am telling you right now, one of the nicest things you can do for them is to smell good. Smelling good is important. Uh, And with Father's Day coming up, maybe it's an option for you uh, to give a gift to your father or, 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 or a father in your life. Uh, and you can do that through Hawthorne by going to their website and taking a quick two-minute quiz. Hawthorne at that point will tell you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. You can check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, .co. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. 
do we want to go to the questions or are there anything else on kind of the, the news of the day that we want to get to first? Although I will say the questions are all about this as well. We, we got to hit the questions because I feel like uh, I, I want to hear from how excited everybody is about this format. Oh, they're all pumped. I promise you that. Um, <laughs> let's see what we got here. Let's say the first draft lottery occurs and the spots are all won by non-playoff qualifying round teams. Um, so basically he's saying not non-qualifiers, but he's using the leagues like it's not the playoff, it's the qualifying round. So, so you're, it's all placeholders, basically. Should a team that is not a cup contender want the draft pick more or want the, the playoff win and the, you know, the potential to lose one round later more, but obviously also the, the chance at the cup. If, if, if you're the GM of, and let's just put team names on these, if you're the GM of Chicago, if you're the GM of Montreal, if you're the GM of Minnesota, what are you hoping for if you know that all three spots have been won by placeholders? Yeah, I mean, if all three spots have been won by placeholders, that's exactly the point I was making a little bit yeah. earlier, that y- you may have scenarios where almost the organization tries to take it out of the hands of the players now, again, this would be, you know, very, very unprecedented. But you could say, again, if you're, you're Montreal, hey, Carey Price is battling this nagging groin injury and he's not going to be able to go tonight. You're Chicago and you're saying, hey, Jonathan Taves has a wrist injury. He's not going tonight. Uh, because you, you want to be in that. Because at that point, the way the lottery works is you'll have your first drawing and all of them have 12.5%. But then the odds are going to get redistributed uh, after that in a proportional fashion. And so if you're saying that you're effectively going to have a 12.5% chance at first overall and you don't win first overall, then you've got a 14.3% chance at second overall. And then if you don't win that, you're not talking about almost a 17% chance at third overall. So collectively speaking, you're talking about roughly a 43% chance at getting a top three pick if you can make that work. And so if you're sitting in that bucket, you're going to be like, yeah, I absolutely want to be in a 43% chance at a top three pick uh, compared to having a 1% chance at winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's the preference. I still don't think you're going to see active tanking, although, you know, you never know what teams might, you know, maybe they're more cautious or whatever, because secretly that's what they want but um but it's it's going to be it's going to be one of the more interesting aspects of watching those uh those playoffs michael wants to know what would be the worst case scenario here and why will it happen i mean the worst case scenario is all three picks are won by placeholders so automatically detroit picks fourth and then it's what i was just describing where pittsburgh beats montreal the islanders beat florida and columbus beats toronto And now you have six Atlantic Division teams in the lottery. And three of those picks could go to all Atlantic Division teams. And so you could end up in a scenario where first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth are all by Atlantic Division teams. And that, I think, is the worst case scenario because the way that works out is if the three placeholders win and then you have... Toronto, Montreal, and Florida win those three lotteries, and then Detroit picks fourth, and then Ottawa picks fifth and sixth. That's that's your nightmare scenario, in my opinion. I think that's accurate. I think you know anything that has them picking four and other Atlantic Division teams going ahead of them is probably the worst case. Although even that, like, I still it's interesting because the Red Wings would be more inhibited by Lafreniere going to like a Florida, for example. But I still think. 
knowing the Red Wings fans that I have gotten to know in my two years on this beat, they would be much more mad if it's Pittsburgh or Edmonton or something like that. That's not even in the division, but just has had a lot more lottery breaks over the years. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly it. I can tell you the team that Detroit's going to be most mad about, or most fans are going to be mad about, is Toronto, followed yes. very closely by Pittsburgh, followed very closely by Montreal. Or Edmonton. Uh, like that, yeah, or and then Edmonton's going to be there as well. But like those are probably, and then Chicago to round it out. Like That's your top five of who Detroit fans are going to be most mad about. But I'm telling you, the nightmare scenario is where the Atlantic Division picks first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then don't forget Buffalo picking, you know, ninth in that scenario. Like that's where that's literally the nightmare situation, um, you know, for Red Wings fans. So I, I think you really don't want to be in that boat. I think uh, I think that's that's a fair take here. Um, okay, so the Grindline podcast wants to know who would you take at number four. I, don't, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit, but maybe not in a long time. Uh, he, they, they suggest Rossi, Raymond, or Drysdale. I'm not sure it's limited to that. There's kind of a group of eight or nine at the top of the draft that people would be choosing from. Uh, what's your What's your thought? Let's Let's not make a selection. What's your thought process at number four? Yeah, I think my thought process here is is it's entirely dependent on who goes one through three. Like if you if it's the way most mocks are going, where you have Lafreniere, Byfield. And, you know, at, at three, let's say it's, it's Stutzla going. Um, then at that point, if you're Detroit, uh, you have a couple of considerations here. You can go after a center. Um, and at that point, you've still got a couple on the board. You've got Marco Rossi. Uh, sure, you've got some concerns. He's a little bit on the smaller side, five foot nine, but he's the, the highest scoring player you've got in the draft. Can't go wrong with Marco Rossi. Uh, you've got Anton Lundell, uh, and he's a great center, although... Taking him at four would be a little bit of a reach relative to to his production, so you may not want to take him at that point. So then positionally speaking, you can say, all right, I can go out to the wings. And, and on the wings, you've got a lot of talented wingers here. You could go the goal-scoring route. And if you go the goal-scoring route, you look for your kind of sniper players. You're talking about Alexander Holtz. You're talking about Cole Perfetti. You're talking about Jack Quinn. Those are your really talented scorers uh, that you've got available to. If you're looking kind of more for the two-way player, it's it's Lucas Raymond who does a really great job, you know, back checking. And then after that, you know, you start jumping into your defenseman, and obviously the top defenseman on the board is Jamie Drysdale. Some would probably, I should say, some would probably, some do put Jake Sanderson in that tier. I don't. I don't think he's in that same bucket at fourth overall. But you've got a lot of different ways you can look at it. And in my personal opinion is from Detroit, you got to take the best player available. For me at four, that, that's still Marco Rossi, but I think there's a lot of talented guys available in that bracket. Yeah, for sure there are. And I think if you're the Red Wings, you know, it's what you're, what you're missing right now is the dynamic offensive players. Obviously, you know, Iserman has given, you know, especially when he brought in Mort Sider, brought in Patrick Nemeth, brought in Valtteri Philpo, all those guys have kind of a defensive um, advantage to their games. And so the Red Wings need help everywhere. But I would say at this point, the main thing they're missing is a dynamic offensive player. And so you're looking for that wherever you can find it. Lucas Raymond has that on the playmaking side. Alex Holtz has it on a goal scoring side. Uh, Marco Rossi scored a ton of points and he kind of fits that all around game a little bit more um, out of the OHL. Cole Perfetti, you know, seems like a pretty gifted offensive player. 
Um, who am I missing? Jamie Drysdale, you know, he's, he's kind of a two-way guy. And I think if you wanted to take Jamie Drysdale at four, I, I certainly wouldn't crush them for that pick. But I think, you know, the emphasis should probably be on an offensive game breaker. You can never guarantee you're getting one, but it's the thing that I think is the number one need in the organization right now. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And that's where I think you go BPA. And to me, BPA is uh, is Marco Rossi. But there's a lot of guys here that, that can move the needle that all have very unique skill sets. And, and the, really, the Red Wings are going to benefit from all of them. But this is a pick you have to knock out of the park. Yeah, and, you know, the, the ultimately, we would have thought that, uh, you know, a center kind of is the is the need there. And, and if you can marry need and BPA, that's even better. But, um, you know, because that's what they need is a center. And it does need to be a dynamic offensive player. But, you know, I think Steve Eiserman said this last year, is what they need is the best player available. So it's, it's probably going to be both either way, a BPA or a need. Yep, completely agree. All right, most of the rest of the questions are things like uh, – <laughs> I think it's like when will it end and – uh, how to be, how to feel happy again, et cetera, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, so no more real, no real questions to dig into. I guess the only th- other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is this does mean the Red Wings probably aren't coming back at least until the very end of the year 2020. Um, what is the impact in your mind of that on the young players? Because to me, I, I don't just look at the playoff shot these teams are getting. I look at the training camp they're getting. And I look at the on-ice time and the reps. And for the Red Wings, young players need reps. And young players need practice. And now it's all going to have to happen informally, uh, potentially for like the longest offseason of any of these guys' lives, all on the heels of probably the longest time they've gone without being on the ice in years. Yeah, it's it's honestly hard to assess. And honestly, this uh, this this whole situation is going to give you an insight into a lot of things we haven't really thought about before. And, and again, the analyst in me is kind of thinking about, all right, what are the impacts of this kind of work, almost work stoppage, if you will, on player development? I think potentially a surrogate as you look at how rookies uh, in the lockout uh, season kind of handled things where maybe their junior leagues weren't able to, uh, I guess their junior leagues were still going, or maybe these are guys that graduated out. You can maybe consider mimicking a little bit of some of the, the issues they went through, but it's not quite a, a good fit. Um, you know, it's the impact of crowd noise on a game, the impact of home ice advantage, all of that. These are all things that we're going to have to just think about uh, as as this game moves on. But I, I agree, Max, and I think this is one of the most challenging things for the young players. I don't know how they're going to respond, how they're going to be able to access the training facilities. If the training facilities, and again, this wasn't particularly clear in the NHL's memo that went out in the uh, phased return to sport protocol, but are all NHL teams going to be allowed to bring players and open up their facilities back to their uh, to their players, or is it only the 24 teams that have been identified? And if so, like again, how much of a competitive advantage does it give for certain teams? How much does that inhibit your other players? The answer is that I just really don't know, but I'm, I'm hopeful that this allows a lot of the lingering injuries to resolve. This allows a lot of guys to kind of put in the extra time in the weight room, add a little bit of muscle, kind of get that bulk that, uh, you know, a lot of the rookies need to work on to develop. And and hopefully when you get back to game action, it's a little bit like riding a bike and it comes back quickly. Yeah, but I mean, they're going to have to be in the gym because it's the only advantage they have over any other team. I mean, the 
I really think it's a huge detriment to not be able to have Philip Zadina, Moritz Seider, Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, uh, all those guys that the young players, Gustav Lindstrom, uh, on Dennis Chalowski on the ice. I mean, in, in any like competitive, true capacity, any training camp, any, uh, any games, I think it's a huge loss. And I think it's going to set those seven teams that are not included in this. I think it's going to set them farther back. Um, than I even really realized until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. It's just it's hard to say how big of an impact it's going to have, but hopefully for these guys, they can make up for it with time in the weight room. Yeah, it's it's the only recourse they have. All right, I think that's going to do it for us for today. Uh, thank you all for sticking with us, by the way, as, as long as it's been between uh, between episodes that are, are newsy like today. And, and, you know, I know it had been a while, but hopefully you're still enjoying the most dominant teams bracket. I think we'll get back to that most likely on the next episode in the middle of this week. Uh, maybe we'll have another, you know, little, little trickles of news coming out between now and then. But until that time, uh, hang in there, take care, and, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>